You need to be more like a dog. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Yeah, looking in the mirror. Be a dog. Whatever happens in leash, it's always a scandal. Why do you think that was? Probably because we're always drinking and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no smoke without fire, that goes light. I met Tomas O'Shea one day and he said, I'm sick of that northern crowd. He said if they went set dancing twice a week, we'd all be set dancing twice a week. I can remember a lad, Jay Boothright, and he was getting sick, right lying like that, <laughs> looking at me like, and I'm going, this is not helping me here. Every man, woman and monkey in me all is, is nearly right in the mouth. Shake in the bucket! That's it! All right, you're very welcome to our uh, special Sunday panel. And it's uh, an opportunity for us to uh, talk about something that we're very keen on talking about here on the programme, and that's the art of uh, writing about sports in whatever form it comes. I'm delighted to say we've got a brilliant panel with us this afternoon as well. John Breen is Artistic Director of the Second Age Theatre Company and the director and author of the rugby play Alone It Stands. Declan Lynch is a Sunday independent journalist and, of course, co-author of John Giles, A Football Man. And the latest book is The Great and the Good, which, uh, by all accounts, is selling really well. Michael Foley is the author of Kings of September, which was the amazing story of that uh, Offaly football team and of course a regular panellist here and a sports writer with the Sunday Times. As you're all very welcome, thanks very much. John, I might start with you actually. Uh, it's, it's different writing for the theatre than it is writing for the page, I presume. And can you tell us a bit about those differences? Well, I suppose that there's, there's a number of, of differences that... Um, Generally, when you're writing about sport, unless you're writing fiction, you, you, you know that the tyranny of fact is is everywhere. Whereas, um, I had a kind of a, a different challenge in writing alone at stands because um, there were two things. I had to make it write an entertaining piece of theatre, but I also, being a Limerick man, I knew that if I got any of the crucial facts wrong, I could never go home. So it, I was just trying to balance that. And um, I suppose r- rugby is a little bit easier to dramatise in that it's a very structured game. I think it it would be much harder to write a play about hurling or soccer, for example. Like in, because soccer is such a free flo- free flowing game, there isn't any um, very underlying structure, great no underlying structure piece, to it. Yeah. yeah, well, apart from corners or free kicks. But in rugby, you've got a line out, you've got scrums, you've got rocks, you've got malls. So, and that's in a way that's a narrative structure to a, to a game. Um, but I suppose the biggest challenge I had was that the game ended twelve nil. I don't want to give the end of the play away now, but uh, uh, so how do you how do you make that exciting and how do you dramatise it? So the way I did that was that I I exploded the the play out to kind of being a portrait of of Limerick and of a culture on that day. And part of that culture is you know it's the fans looking for um, looking for tickets for the game. Um, I was in it. I was building a bonfire in the day. I had no interest in the match. And um, then tr- trying to tell the stories of the different camps and the and the build up to it, and all the time trying to keep conflict in it. Because although it's a comedy, the secret to comedy is conflict. So in every scene, there has to be a kind of a, a, a piece of conflict. And then um, I, I suppose as I was writing it and researching it, I, I came across a, a, an extraordinary fact, which I felt lifted the whole play just from being a, a, something about a game to being which could be more epic in sweep. And that was on the day of the game, um, the Munster captain was a man called Donald Caniff. And uh, his father died tragically while he was playing the match. Um, so he came off having achieved one of the most historic sporting victories uh, to get this news that his father had died uh, listening to the match on the radio in Cork. And um, he got straight into a car and went to Cork to to grieve for his father. Um, so I suppose that then gave it gave me permission to... To, to expand it and, and write about life and death and there's birth in it and there's a bonfire and there's... Uh, Did you, you talk know. to the family about that? Cause, uh, I interviewed Donal. Yeah. And um, I interviewed a lot of the different players and I, I when I interviewed him, I said, look, I can't tell this story without dealing with this. 
and um, he said, look, you know, do what you have to do. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's on the record. And I think in the play, we deal with it very respectfully. And um, I know that he's seen it. A lot of his family have seen it. And they felt that although the play is a comedy, that that, that, that tragedy that befell him is, is handled respectfully. And I'm always mindful of that, even in rehearsals when we're, when we're doing it, that, you know, we, we, we need to be uh, mindful of that when we're, when we're doing it. Yeah, there's, there's loads of stuff there that I might come back to in just a minute. But the notion of having to leave some stuff out, um, Michael, your book, loads of interviews, loads of people. Is there stuff that you have to leave out for for various reasons that you kind of are quite desperate to put in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's the, it's the case all the time, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly in a case like Kings of September to say no where you're, you're talking about interviewing the bones of 40 people or whatever it was and you know yourself if you ask two people about the same story they'll give you probably two different versions so you have to sort of tread that line so there's that alone I mean there's some, some guys would have seen things or experienced things and said that's how that happened Even and this is only on a very simple level and then other guys would say no that never happened so you kind of have to make a judgment call there but then you've got bigger stories obviously particularly outside of the game which I suppose you know most sport like most sports great really good sports books you always hope that sport is only the hook for a bigger story anyhow um, so in that case you're you're looking for as Jan says you're looking for those different little things like like we say Donald Caniff's story you know um, there would have been other stories of saying King September that you could have hooked onto but there was there was stuff you just had to leave out because it was either too painful for the people who were involved or uh, maybe there you know it would have just created it, it wasn't adding enough to the story to justify the amount of hassle it may have caused and yeah. you weren't actually losing anything we'd say in terms of the, the intrinsic quality or the value of the story itself Yeah Declan I guess it's a different <coughs> challenge when you're, you're writing say the autobiography of John Giles it's mm. such a long story that there's, and there's so many aspects to it that size might be an issue with leaving some of the stuff out as opposed to well I don't want you to say that uh, Yeah I mean it came about in a really odd sort of way you see because uh, I, I knew John for you know, considerable amount of time before the the uh, anyone ever even thought of doing this. So, um, it, it a lot of those books are done by you know you're in, you're introduced to the star like ten minutes beforehand. Yeah, you, some of them they, they might interview them three times or something, and and that's it. And maybe the the subject might deign to read the book at some point. So it was an entirely different thing it, it, with with him, um, simply because you know I having all, I already knew him so, um. And just it just came about simply because his other uh, some other plan to to do to do a book hadn't worked out for for whatever reason, um. So it, it, John Giles would have put more into you know he you know in, into the the whole project than the vast majority of people in that situation you know, um. It, you know leaving aside just the, the like that he would be inclined to you know so. Um, that's a double-edged sword, yeah. though, because the the pressure with that, uh, like he's interested in this. Oh, I have to, I have to do a good job. Yeah. Well, well, one of the reasons for, for doing it is that, um, frankly, so many of those books are no good. You see, they they really are not very good. Those kind of uh, biographies of of sports stars. And if any man deserved something that wasn't just the usual run of the mill thing, it was John Giles. I mean, I actually, I think it's uh, it may be the great Irish sports story, the John Giles one. Uh, maybe not regarded as such, perhaps simply because it happened in England, so much of it, right? But uh, it, there's also an, a, a thing about him that, to some extent, he only became a kind of a much-loved figure almost when he was about 60. Yeah. Uh, in his playing career and, and so forth. Um, it, like, he'd never been on The Late Late Show, for example. 
Uh, there was also something I think in his in his temperament that would you he, not just blame Gabe Byrne for that though because like, he just wasn't interested in sport really uh, and, and maybe uh, maybe he, but there were God there were a lot of people on the late late show during those years uh, who somehow got on it uh, who wouldn't have sh- been shall we say the lead one of the leading practitioners in the world of their their particular trade yeah. so uh, I I think the real key to it though was was that he that he was never a character you see and. And we love a character uh, in 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 this country, uh, which is not necessarily a good thing, you know. And um, so, in that part of his personality, in a way, he he his temperament is almost more too pragmatic, or it's almost more English or German or something like that. That, that there's that there's that element, uh, you know, which. Uh, maybe stopped him from being that much loved figure until much later on but his actual story is it's an extraordinary uh, thing I mean uh, from early on when I was I'd be talking to him I, I would have to elicit things from him in the sense simply because he's not a boastful sort of a person so he wouldn't be name dropping things he wouldn't be saying oh I met you know Duncan Edwards and of course we immediately struck up, struck up a great rapport that's not his style so simply I, I, I asked him uh, about to describe the the sort of first time he went over to Manchester and uh, he's described first of all as a 14 year old getting the boat over on his own right yeah. these are just things that were regarded as perfectly normal at the time that a 14 year old would go uh, you know, get the boat over get a train from Liverpool to Manchester and then meet this old geezer called Joe Armstrong I think you know from, from Manchester so Joe Armstrong brought him to Old Trafford and introduced him to this young man who was um, who was waiting for the bus opposite Old Trafford uh, he was eating an apple and he was sitting on a post box and this was Duncan Edwards so he was introduced to him he said Duncan Edwards this is John Giles <coughs> that particular image it's not of, a bad of, scene of Duncan this? Edwards sitting on a post box eating an apple while waiting for the bus uh, if say Alan Parker had put this into some hugely sentimental movie about uh, the British sport of the post-war period, you know there was that oh, that's typical Alan Parker thing. These moments were happening all the time in John Giles' actual career, and so it was such a pleasure to write it or to do it in that sense because it was just full of these great, great moments, you know. Yeah, I, I guess that is the challenge of the writer to do justice to the, the topic as well, and, and maybe the more people you talk to, even that's more difficult. Well, in, in in a couple of it's funny because in one way talking to more people gives you more freedom because you actually you get more a- aspects to the story and if someone if one guy says well that's not how it happened well I can tell you that is how it happened you just you just you're just getting it wrong your memory is wrong or whatever the interesting thing about autobiographies though is and I, like I worked with Mickey Hart on his a couple of years ago yeah. and you know at the end of the day and I've talked to an awful lot of people who've done autobiographies over the last say five or ten years at the end of the day the guy that the subject would say John Giles in this case or Mickey Hart or whoever the case be they they will get the product number one that they that they want and number two the one that it, it, it equates to the amount of effort they put in because it's one thing like for, 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 for the writer to go right I'm going to give it everything or whatever like you know because we all go into like that's your attitude going in even to an autobiography or whatever it is you're going to you're going to give it everything and you just hope that the guy gives it back to you again but if he doesn't there's no hope like in the case of Giles I remember reading that book and going this is just a this is a great idea and it's it's it works and it's it's part social history same as again same as John's again it's part social history um, it's got it has an awful lot of little things going for it that maybe you wouldn't get in a 21st century autobiography with a guy in his 20s and 30s which I suppose is the advantage of talking to a fella mm. with 
you know, 30 years gone from his career, 40 years gone from his career with a bit of perspective, but a huge amount of autobiography stuff and why some of these ones are rubbish is because the guys who are doing it, they're purely doing it for a check. And it's a, com- a lot of them, even the biggest names, are a complete waste of time yeah. doing them. Yeah, there's a uh, there's almost like a job in itself. There are, there are guys who just do, uh, they're kind of almost superstar uh, yeah. biography writers. And uh, you know, it's, say if you want sort of a George Michael book done, this guy will do it. You know, it, it there's a trade in itself. I, I mean, uh, you know, like in my case, it was more an accident. It just it just happened. I mean, it's not something that I, I do generally, you know. So I think that may help as well if it's sort of, how, depending on how the thing actually happens, I think is quite important. It's the first one you did, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and and um, I've worked on, with them on, the, on another book now, The Great and the Good, which yeah. is like about all the great players. I suppose the great themes of John Giles' life that he's been educating us about over the last like 20 years so uh, you know it it, it 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 but it emerged quite accidentally in other words this is not my what my trade as such do you know what I mean whereas there are guys who just knock them out uh, with no kind of uh, concern over so you had your own either. sense of perspective as well and it, yeah I wanted to do it like I mean I thought you know uh, it, was, it was it was something that needed to be done you know but it's funny but it's funny like when you yeah, I don't know whether you had to do this with Giles probably not I get the feeling but sometimes when you meet a guy and you're asked you're asked to go and write a guy's book you actually end up sitting down and giving him a team talk like you're going right we're going to go at this hell for later now and there's going to be no messing and I don't care what you th- I don't care what you think about the media it's irrelevant you are to give me everything or you get nothing yeah and some guys go yeah right let's do it and some guys go oh yeah no bother no bother I'll see you. I'll see you in about two well, months. Isn't that the challenge? Because I mean, what the puncher is looking for is what makes these people different is their psychology and the, the psychology that they bring to bear. Otherwise, yeah. these books are merely a recounting of a sequence of events yeah. and kind of very anodyne anecdotes around each each individual thing. But it's the insight and it's the, the inner psychology that makes these guys different. And that's why I thought Roy Keane's biography w- was so interesting because you did get an idea of the psychology behind this guy and that that huge passion and drive that that drove him forward. And I think that some of these sports biographies are literally just a a litany of this happened Mm -hmm. and then that happened. And it's it's the challenge of the the ghostwriter or the individual who's writing it is to bring out a little bit of that personality. I think the thing, I I, I didn't get enough of that from Roy Keane's book, to be honest. And I think the thing with that was that it was so close to the events that I, it, it did feel like there was a lot of stringing together It would be very events. interesting now if Roy Keane took an, a Giles-like approach and did another one in his, say, say in his 60s. I think that's when the book and just to see the, what the definitive like. Roy Keane story will be told where yeah. there is actually where the elements of self-doubt that seem to have begun to emerge in the, the interviews in the last couple yeah. of years or even the first time time and signs of genuine failure on the public stage. But does it need somebody else to come in and look at that and maybe that Roy Keane should be taken out of the equation? Uh, because how how much objectivity can you have on your own career? I don't know. It's a very good question. Well, there was a great, like the the one when you said that now about taking Roy Keane out of it. The one book that came to mind straight away there was The Damned United, by yeah. David Peace about Brian Clough mm-hmm. at Leeds, which is a situation there. I mean, that's a quite dramatic taking out in, in the sense that he just wrote. It's essentially, I suppose, it's a piece of fiction, mm-hmm. but it does get it does get to the heart at least of the of the mood in the place. And there are a few. I mean, Keane would be one. The, the Keane story, even just that. That month, we'll say, around Saipan or whatever. I mean, that would that would potentially lend itself to that kind of dramatization and that sort of. Well, it's already been farcically dramatized. Well, it's been farcically yeah. dramatized, but there's actually, and I mean, it's and, and very well done. But you know, but isn't that, isn't that part of the, the the joy of sports writing? Is that you're? I mean, I was listening to Dion Fanning on on the car on the way in, and you know, a lot of your contribu- contributors have incredibly in depth knowledge about something that is, in its essence, is actually quite shallow. 
that you know you you are talking about sports and nobody's <laughs> going to die i mean uh, but the actual the, the amount of description and uh, verbiage that goes into it is is extraordinary and it's, i mean i really admire don mclean the amount of in-depth knowledge he can bring now in fact i don't have very much interest in horse rating but any time he comes on i'm absolutely enthralled and i think that the, the challenge of a really good sports writer is to bring an added dimension to something that because i i mean i'm a huge sports fan but essentially, it doesn't leave as great an emotional residue as some other events that, that happen in your life. And I think the challenge for a sports writer, and for and I think that, that, that that's what the Damned United really did achieve, is that it kind of, it, it, it expanded into a, a universe outside of itself. And it became the story of a great hero who had, had feet of clay. And I think that's what we're looking for in, in, in sports writers, somebody who can um, get it beyond the mundane, who did what to whom and why. Uh, actually, one thing about the Damned United is that there's a really good example to bring up simply because, you know, it's I have such mixed feelings about it, right? Uh, that it, it, it almost exemplifies everything that's kind of good and, and bad about, about the, the genre. I mean, it's a brilliantly written book, right? Uh, but it's, First of all, it's part of something that, that I hate, which is, uh, uh, you know, f- uh, fiction, supposedly based based on fact. Right. Uh, almost every movie ever that you see now has this thing, you know, based on real events, except they're based on real events, except we also made everything up. Right. You know, it's cheating, essentially, to to to, to uh, at a very kind of. Um, mercenary sort of level to, to you know in the movie certainly you know uh, they you know they, you want the the kind of the stamp of the credibility that says this actually happened mm. and you also want the license to just make the whole thing up and particularly with the uh, it's kind of well, well, I would absolutely <laughs> put my hand up there and say but well, I would yeah. I would absolutely defend the the right of any artist to do that because um, the, yeah I know that yeah. uh, no, that there's there's no problem you know as long as the the thing is kind of if you like clearly signaled do you know but uh, we'd say like the the, the damned united right the uh, my own personal interest simply because john giles is in it right and he's portrayed as a completely sort of different person there's two versions just actually is just in case anybody doesn't know there's two versions there's the original version which was printed and then there's the second version which was reprinted after i think i don't know if it was a court case or a complaint was made on the part of John Giles where Giles is named in the first book and the second one he's referred to as the Irishman. Yeah. Um, no, he's portrayed as this as this kind of scheming leprechaun, right? Which for a writer of, of David Pease's ability, for starters, is really disappointing, right? That it, the Giles in the book is simply not anything remotely like the actual person. Now, John, you, you know this, that you were saying you have a duty to some extent to, to take the essence of, of yes, the thing and then that. to dramatise yeah. it. You don't just create a different person do you know and uh, that that's where, where I've, I felt there was uh, once they got to the movie then of the damned united there were these really bizarre things like uh, you know you have um, Leeds United who are famous for being superstitious right uh, one of the superstitions in the in the film is that the, the, the bus is parked maybe a hundred yards away from the entrance to the away ground of all this was the only superstition they didn't have <laughs> okay <laughs> so it's almost perverse the way the, the footballers the players the, who who were the, the Leeds players they didn't even they didn't look even remotely like professional athletes you know and you, you they were kind of toby alright so you have this extraordinary thing where lovies kind of move into sport and they don't seem to kind of um, they, they're almost trying to add things that don't need it to need to be added you know it's like they don't trust sport itself to actually have the um the, the essence of, of the story do you yeah. know yeah I suppose 
maybe the book was written before we'd heard the definitive accounts of exactly what had happened and we're never going to hear the yeah. definitive account from Brian Clough. But it's also but whose truth is it? Well, whose truth know. is it? Exactly. Yeah. I think it's, I think as a piece of work and just as I said at the top there, just in terms of capturing the, the mood and the vibe and I accept what Declan is saying, obviously, mm. and I'm sure it was the case with a lot of the other characters in it, they looked at it and went, mm. what the hell? Mm. You know, I'm not coming out of this the best. Um, but again, just in terms of capturing the, the general mood and that 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 sense of a guy going into yeah, see, the, absolutely into the lion's den. This is the difficulty with that. In in some ways, it's brilliant. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It, like the cloth character is in some ways brilliant. It's a brilliant piece of writing. You know, uh, in admirable in that sense. If you actually knew nothing about but the real events that, involved, it's a wonderful piece. But that's of work, his only you know? duty. His only yeah. duty is to the story he's telling. And if he thinks his story needs a, an but, Irish, yeah. but you see, for centuries, for, for, for centuries, what you would do then is that you would just have you would you, you would kind of make it up. That's right. Shakespeare did. <laughs> you, know, you you wouldn't say, oh, by the way, this actually happened as well. Do you know? I you know I think there's it's a it's a very thin line. Do you know what I mean? But I just think it went on the wrong but side of it, you. and um, and it's such a malaise as well in, in in much lesser work. You know, to to have that thing of pretending that that or wanting to have the stamp of authenticity and just making the whole thing up. Then, but, but what would what would be the compromise? Would it say based on true events or inspired well, by well, true well, events? Your, your compromise is 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 very good in the sense that you in in writing your play would have been you know you, you would have been very uh, careful to per, that the actual people portrayed were roughly speaking in their characters were kind of reflected in your work do well, you know yeah uh, I mean it, I, I, in this particular yeah. play I did but I also wrote a play about Charlie Hawhey and now I based the political stuff on you know stuff that was on the record but there were things that you have to fictionalise as well and I mean I, I think that you can't constrain an artist even mm-hmm. if they're speaking if they're writing about events that have actually took place um, there, a, a, a work of art is essentially a metaphor which has meaning a greater meaning than the sporting event itself, and I think you've you've got to give an artist license to 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 expand on that. Now, in alone it stands, I am um, I was absolutely loyal to what happened on the pitch, but there are fictional characters surrounding it as well, and I could take as much license with that as I wanted. Yeah. Like in terms of though, like the the one thing that struck me when doing Kings of September and writing about real people and real and real events was that I was I was actually at times terrified, like in terms of how am I portraying these people truthfully and properly. And sort of, uh, you know, at time, I don't think I had to take dramatic license at any stage in that one. But like there was moments where you were kind of maybe trying to build drama somewhere along the way. And maybe you were worried, am I overstating things here or what? I don't know. Was that ever a worry? Even like we say, doing doing something like Alone at Stands, when you're just even when you're just writing it and you're trying to start to go, you know, am I... I suppose was it is is it a different kind of fear for you like well, I changed real stuff. people? I, I actually changed stuff because um a couple of the team came to see the play um in Port Leash and then later on in, in Lansdowne Road and um they kinda of cornered me afterwards and said, Well actually that he didn't do that and they they felt mm-hmm. that and I suppose it was my own bias, I'm a Limerick man and I was kind of given a lot of the heroic stuff to mm-hmm. the Limerick players and they, they asked me to, to to rebalance that and I did. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I changed stuff as a response to, to feedback I got. And I understand Johnny Giles was very unhappy mm. with that book. And I, I think you actually have to look at it from the viewpoint of the person, the actual person who is yeah. the, who is being portrayed. And uh, even allowing for the fact that most people want to be portrayed better than, or, you know, in a, in a good light. Uh, if there's simply uh, just a wildly inaccurate portrayal of almost everything you've, you've ever done. Uh, and if your the character is just completely different, 
you know, what's that about? Like, I mean, why not just, you know, call it something else or, or just say, I like, it's, it's a novel. I made it up. It's a work of fiction. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I, I can uh, see in that, in that particular, in that instance, yeah. yeah you know, uh, but I, I, an interesting thing as well is is uh, how in the movies, yeah, uh, in, in this in this area of fiction and, and fact, that there are almost no good sports movies. Do you think so? Very few. Raging right? Bull? Uh, sorry? Raging Bull? Oh yeah, that's but is that a, is that a sports movie? Well, yeah. well, there you go. You oh, say okay. me what? Define a sports is, movie. Yeah. Define you know, escape to victory. I, I, I suppose <laughs> boxing is so, is such a kind of a, an epic thing that um, yeah, there, there are a lot of good boxing films. Oddly enough, right? But um, we'll say football, for example. There are almost no good football films, yeah. which is an extraordinary thing. I actually, it yeah. was interesting that um, when John was talking about how rugby lends itself because there is that frequent break in play. Uh, American sports have those frequent breaks in play mm. and so therefore for whatever reason the literature grew up around them like there are some good baseball movies for example yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if everybody agrees but I, The Natural is quite a decent film mm. over a yeah. period of time no it is yeah. it's a Field of Dreams Any mm. Given Sunday uh, I like Any Given Sunday there's the, there's definitely there's yeah. been a debate in here about it on the, in, in the past <laughs> but, but, but I, I think the, I think though to just to go on with it that the the, uh, the reason is that you know w- w- the film industry tends to look at, at football and think oh that's great right now how can we bring something to it right how can we uh, maybe have maybe uh, a bit of even love interest right we'll say Nick Hornby's book right which is a brilliant book Fe- Fever Pitch a kind of a classic football book and for some reason they the only uh, the great point of that book is that like there are no women in it there's no love interest Arsenal are the only love interest, right? And somehow in the movie, they they decide, oh, he has to have a love interest. Why? I don't know. It's a movie. He has to have a love well, interest. The movie was, was, was he never th- got the money to make it unless yeah. you put a, a, a woman in it because no woman would go and see a play yeah. that, that was just about soccer. Right? But as a result, the movie just didn't work. Like you know, because it wasn't about. Is this the American remake? The no, it was, a, it was an English. Yeah. It was, who was it? Was it was the actor, the the guy who played. Um, the same guy who plays actually. Brian Clough. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't. That was Michael Sheen. No, it's the guy who played. Um, oh, he's in Bridget Jones' Diary, and he's, he's Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy, yeah. Colin Firth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Colin Firth. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Uh, but but it's that thing, Bri- and it's in Bridget the Jones' Diary. It was straight there. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. in the Damned United as well. That they think, oh, we have what, the relationship between Brian Clough and and Peter Taylor. Yes, that is the central relationship. We must make that. It's almost like that. That is the love story, you know, between the two guys, uh, and. It didn't need that. It doesn't need any of that. And I think that's that's the reason behind it, that they, they're, they keep trying to... And why so much of the great sports writing is actually journalism. Because it's all there. You don't actually have to bring all this nonsense into it and, and try to sort of, oh, let's try to make it attractive to people who don't like sport. But you know, if you're going to make a, a mainstream movie, movie you've got you to obey to. the rules of movie making. I mean, they're to laid down by Aristotle. They're two and a half thousand years yeah. old and, and they haven't changed that but much. But sport, you see, is, is itself this great, uh, drama and this uh, with the wonderful advantage that there is no script. So uh, th- this is this is the the argument I'm making that you know the the, uh, the you're, you're, you can't bring this stuff to it uh, or you, you can but so often it doesn't work. It certainly in the in the movies it doesn't work uh, and uh, 
and why is that? And I, just, well, I, would I say think that's the reason that that you don't need to bring that much to it. Uh, oh, you know, for example, the, the least that could have been done in the Damned United was to make the, the footballers vaguely credible looking as footballers. They, they, they looked like, like... Do you think a, they did that on purpose, though? Because it's so obvious that these guys, the small old guys who are actually supposed hmm. to be 22 and 23-year-old hmm. athletes and why professionals... Would you, why, would, why would you do that? Just to take it out of that realm of reality. Of being what it was actually about. Like, yeah, but, you but know, it's a fiction um, is, the, is the thing. So it's like we are ostentatiously going to be a but fiction. But the fact these, was much more interesting, you see. This I, is I, I don't know. I think you're crediting <laughs> them with too much yeah. intelligence there. I, I think... Because the, the the same thing happened in the, the 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 South African World Cup movie. None of those guys looked like that's a terrible like thing. It's a terrible appalling. movie. It is a terrible. And movie. you know you've got one of the greatest athletes that ever graced, uh, Joan Olumo, played by somebody who who, who, who uh, didn't look anything like him, and, and certainly didn't have that kind of physical prowess to to, to match it. And it's a, and it's a thing that puts people. I think it puts people off sports literature to a degree as well. Just your average kind of punter will kind of go Asher Jesus there's no good sports books out there they're all you know they're all off a conveyor belt sort of uh, autobiographies Ashley Cole type affairs that are sort of just banged out and up for the Christmas market and gone you know for partly for that reason because because we're conditioned when we look at sports movies and uh, even even looking at like you know kind of bland post-match interviews if you go well there's nothing there Mm. there's nothing there but, the, but there I, is. <laughs> yeah, and I think that actually one of the big changes in, in recent years has been the power of the sports documentary. Somebody's texted in about the Senna documentary um, and he says it's really good. I've watched it many times and I cry every time. There has in the last 10 years been a slew of brilliant sports documentaries mm. where it's uh, fact. Which is a perfect, perfect example of the Senna documentary consists of nothing but actual footage of, of Ayrton Senna. There isn't some guy playing him and, and four other made up guys who are his yeah. mates or something you mm. know a uh, really good example of that I think Yeah, you can draw a line back to when we were kings I suppose it was the first time you saw that sort of you know early 70s footage mm. coupled with Norman Miller and George Plimpton going mad all together in yeah. their seats kind of getting so excited about remembering it um, and, draw, and in fact I think even today on ESPN I think they're showing all the 30 for 30 documentaries back to back for a big long stretch of the day and it's like some of those are extraordinary I didn't, didn't realise that they're extraordinary you I know? might call in sick you want to get the old uh, sky, the man, sky on demand or whatever it's called there, um, Phil says the Dan United is portrayed from the perspective of Clough and how he saw things while it may not portray a true picture of Giles it may portray the picture that Clough had of him well that's exactly what I'm saying who's truth, who's truth are you talking about um, yeah well, I, let's move on from that because um, there is like what the, the other stuff that you do like having heard that you don't like the Damned United and that kind of stuff Declan um, the first book that I think you wrote about sport was the book about Italian 90 and how and yeah. that was essentially a book about Ireland yeah. where football was the hook and, and I think generally we, we've all kind of agreed that reading about stuff where sport happens to be a part or a central part of it is the stuff that we like the most. Yeah, well, well um, I would always have seen, I mean, from way back, I was writing a sports column in the Hot Press, which is like a rock and roll magazine. And we didn't see anything unusual in, you know, writing about sport in, in, in that context. And likewise, with the with Italia 90, I mean, it, uh, tr- it, it, it involves so many things just about Ireland in general that to write about it just as a sporting event in it would be completely bizarre I think you know mm. I mean like the only sensible and the only intelligent way to do it is to see it in the context of everything that was happening in the country at that time because it was just a hugely pivotal time in in Irish history and uh, you know it was it was both part of that and a trigger for other things you know um, so that, that, that was the, the 
the basic uh, project I had. And uh, it, so it, that was how it started. That yeah. wasn't something that you, okay, I'm going to write a book about this period of time. And then you get into it and realize it was like, I want to write about these things. And well, my, my first uh, reaction to it was simply that it was, and I would still believe this, it was just the best thing that ever happened in Ireland, ever. Uh, I'm talking going back 5,000 years now. There was nothing that ever happened in Ireland before or since that was as good as as Italian 90. And it's a good premise I, for a book. I will never, I do not ever expect <laughs> I'd say to, to be... I'd lads who fought in the Battle of Clontarf from my yeah, heart. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say they'd be fairly good. Or Park in 78. If you're thinking like three weeks after those. Uh, three weeks uh, uh, in the history of, the, of this country, uh, there are there have not been a better three weeks uh, or month maybe. <laughs> uh, so so that's a, a pretty good starting off point. It's also important to, to make that clear because there's a lot of confusion about things. You see, uh, I always thought the great example was questions and answers, which was on for years and and always uh, after about forty five minutes of of kind of um, stuff, uh, at the end of it there'd be a, a sports question. And this would be the funny question. And they'd all suddenly start relaxing and giggling and making little jokes about how one of them is from Cork and the other's from Kerry. And that's hilarious in itself, you know. And, and it would just degenerate into this kind of as if this was the least important thing next to, say, you know, f- you know the, the, the Fine Gael policy document. That's important. But, you know, uh, the FA Cup final, that's a laugh. You know, uh, nothing could be further from the truth. These, it was, in fact, an indirect inversion of what of what the truth is. Uh, and so there's this constant thing that we have to fight against, which is the, the, this sense that sport is somehow a relaxation or something that's that's just like a, 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 a to the side of life, you know, whereas, in fact, for for many of us, it is, it, you know, it is life itself. Do you know what I mean? And uh, uh, likewise, the best journalism in in, in the newspapers, it, it, you know, is 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 sports journalism. I don't mean that it's good in the context of sports journalism. It's the best journalism of all the journalism in the paper, even though it's consigned to what is often described as the sport, the toy department. You know, so uh, you know you have to kind of make sure that these events are put in their proper context. So you have to say like, Italian 90 wasn't just a laugh for three weeks. It was a hugely important uh, social and cultural phenomenon. Uh, and uh, on so many levels, you know, even like the, the idea of uh, the this uh, thing we call the diaspora, you know, it was hu- hugely important in relation to all that. And uh, it, it, it um, you know, we've reflected something very, very deep about all that, how in, even in an odd way, Irish people always do are more successful internationally for some reason when there's some English involvement of some kind. <laughs> I mean, I started to look into this and eventually I got a whole chapter out of it. It was really eerie. You start going into things like, well, you know, Brendan Behan. Uh, it was only when he got connected with Joan Littlewood, really, that he became very successful. You could go on, you two, two of their members are, are English and they are born born in England um, the Pogues you could go the on Smiths. and on uh, I figured out that even Johnny Logan was born in Australia you know uh, so, so all these little little elements which uh, came up in, in relation to it uh, you know it, it seemed to me to be uh, just the right thing to do and just to take it out of this thing of oh we all went off to Italy and the lads got pissed like yeah. you know, which is the usual Italian 90 story yeah I, I, can I suggest that one of the reasons why Alonis Dance was so successful is because it's actually one of the few things that takes the sport as seriously as, as I think so. Saying? Yeah, but but also I think that at the time it happened, there was no Italian ninety, there was no River Dance, there was no U two. It happened at a time when Ireland was really socially and culturally on its knees, 
And this team, and I, I think what's very unusual about this team as well is that now there are, we have professional sportsmen, and they're kind of a they're a race apart, if you like, because they, they. But these guys were your local bank clerk. They were teaching your kids. They were serving you in the butcher shop, and they went out and beat the best team in the world. And I think it gave at the time it gave people something to to hold on to. And I think the play does take sport very seriously. It takes the the, the dilemmas that happen, and that you know it, it takes fandom very seriously, and it takes the the actual rigors and language and objectives of sport very seriously but at the same time the person who endures the most pain in the play is a woman who gives birth and Donald Caniff who loses his father and I, I, there's a line of a gag where Tom Kiernan is, is exhorting his team um, before the game and I, and I slip in a line at the end and most of all remember this lads it's only a game and they all laugh but in a way it is only a game and that there is uh, everybody in that play are, are going to go back to their own lives and have their own um, their own griefs and just to to echo something that you said my wife was in um, in New York in, in 1994 and she went to that Italia that wonderful game in the Giant Stadium mm. and um she walked into that giant stadium and saw it covered with with Irish flags. And she said she knew at that moment, as was five years before I met her, she said that she knew at that time that sometime she'd ha- someday she'd have to go home because that 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 crowd kind of cried out to her. And it was an extraordinarily powerful thing mm. to be an Irish person in America at that time and see that that national presence. Mm. And um, so I think I think sport can reach beyond itself. But uh, but I think the reason um, people write about it is that essentially it's a metaphor for life. Well, that's it. Yeah. And I mean, it gives you the freedom as well to be really serious about it. And that's knowing that at the end of the day, it's only a game. And th- but that's why journalists as well have freedom to to um, exercise maybe more flamboyant style or um, kind of plug can can draw parallels between what a, a defender is doing and, and and philosophy because they have that freedom because it of its nature sport is a metaphorical object. But I think even within that, you have to be careful that you don't kind of fall into sort of. <laughs> Parody shy almost, talk. yeah, yeah. <laughs> shy talk, shy talk. Yeah, although Making in fairness, that all forms of journalism are prone to the the shy talkers and the, and the parody. Um, it's interesting to me that uh, Gay Talese, who's pretty much the founding father of new journalism, started out as a local beat reporter mm. on sport and covering sport, and that that a whole movement kind of came from him doing these long form pieces where he'd go and spend time writing and, and detailing a person's life in the in the actual documentary reality of what that life was like. Well, also having these kind of rhetorical flourishes sometimes where he, he inserts himself into um, the mind of these people. Uh, is there stuff that you like that kind of inspires you? Like, would there have been plays that you were thinking, I like that, or um, or, or well, sports writing? or There was a, a great Brenton play called Epsom Downs, which is a, a day of, around the Derby. And it looks at all the different lives that are involved around Epsom on, on the day of the Derby. And I took huge inspiration from that. Also, there's a play by John Goldberg called Bouncers. And I kind of borrowed a lot of his stylistic stuff from it. But in, in terms of sports writing, uh, I think it's hard to beat John John Updike. Um, he's a, an amazing book called Dreams of Golf. And um, I think that's some of the best sports writing you'll, you, you'll ever discover. Um, and uh, I, I think that Richard Ford's book, uh, The Sports Writer, is about a sports writer, Frank Bascom. And he's written a, a trilogy about them. And it's funny, I know that um, Richard Ford comes over to Ireland regularly. And I know he's become a huge hurling fan. All right. So if I might, you know, maybe the government could commission him to to go into the dressing room of a, a county final and write a short story about it, because that that could be quite an a, mm-hmm. an extraordinary marketing tool for for the country. Yeah, I wouldn't mind reading that. Um, the the sports writers and the whole series of books are pretty amazing. Um, 
I'm a big fan of them, but uh, they're kind of they're they're a struggle. They make you think about a lot of things. That you don't oh really yeah, you can't about. read them quickly. He's a mm. he, he's a very dense writer, and I mean, you know, I think he's one of the great literary geniuses of the 20th century, well, 21st century as well. Um, in terms of when you came to write a book about a lot of people talking about an event and how they remember, how their memory of that and and communicating that, were there many things that you can kind of look at for inspiration and go, or do you need to find your own way for that kind of thing? Uh, I'm trying to remember back to what I was reading. I think, I think I was looking. It was more about structure. I remember around that time, Alan English had written a book called Stand Up and Fight, which is about the Munster All Blacks game, roughly around that time. Um, which obviously, again, was a kind of collection of people talking about about an event. So I can remember that that was out around the same time. I can remember when I was doing it that I was kind of thinking about it like a movie, like as in, how do you structure this? Will you structure it in a way that you want to draw somebody in? Because on the surface, I don't know how many people I interviewed during that time, and the first thing they say is, what the hell? Who cares about this? Like, So the first thing you had to do was make people care about it. So in that sense, and I, I, I kind of notice, I mean, I'm working on something at the moment, and it's the same thing again. You're trying to think about how do you draw somebody into a kind of a weird subject, you know? Um, and I think, in fact, I think stuff like When We Were Kings and the 30 for 38 documents, I think more Irish uh, writers at the moment are watching those things now. And they're kind of thinking differently. If you look at the structure of Irish, even autobiographies and then kind of more generic topics, they're kind of, the structure has changed a bit and, and the way they're going at them is a lot more American. They're kind of drawing from stuff. But in general, for me, I mean, I love David Halberstam. I mean, I love his... His political writing and I love his sports writing. It's just absolutely fantastic, outstanding. Um, American writer, passed, he actually died in a, in a car crash. He was traveling to interview a baseball player or an American footballer. He died in a car crash a few years ago. But I mean, he wrote a book called The Teammates, um, which is basically just about Ted Williams, who was a great uh, Boston Red Sox player living in Florida, and his three best mates driving down from the East Coast just down to Florida to see him probably for the last time and just a kind of a story of it's a very short book absolutely magnificent I remember Seabiscuit I remember reading Seabiscuit around that time and I mean in terms of just a, histor- a piece of history and the way the way that uh, Laura Hillenbrand just put all that together it's just fantastic but I like I like the kind of weird offbeat ones like I mean I love there's a book about high school chess that was out a few years ago I can't remember the guy uh, Weintraub I think his name is that's just great fun like you know we'll, um, we'll put this list out on Twitter have you got any quick well I mean we were just very lucky uh, in this country that uh, we, we had one of the great writers of the world Con Hulan, uh writing about sport uh, four days a week in the, in the evening press you know it's an extraordinary thing when you think about it I mean completely original writer uh, enormously civilised um, you know we you know, uh, we've we've had like sort of successors of his. Like, we had like Tom Humphreys, um, uh, Keith Duggan, uh, Dion Fanning today. Like brilliant writers, and uh, uh, like from my own case, Con would be have been a huge influence simply because I, uh, from a very early age, I read his 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 columns, and uh, they were just the best thing in the paper. Um, and uh, they were the best thing probably in any genre uh, in in Irish writing uh, for for many years. Uh, again, this thing of like you know consigning people just to this department of sports writing. You know, Con Hoolan is up there with any of the great writers of the last fifty years uh, in like you know uh, fiction, drama, whatever. You know, and uh, that was an extraordinary thing to have such excellence uh, coming out like you know. Uh, Monday, Wednesday and Friday uh, and some Saturdays uh, in, the, in the evening press. Amazing thing. And we probably haven't appreciated it enough, I think. Uh, not at all. No, I, I, we appreciate it to an extent, but maybe not 
uh, enough. Yeah. Well, it's a generation thing, I suppose, isn't it? Because I mean, the press would say the press died, and a lot of his columns died died with, died it. with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a few anthologies out there, but there's not really. I mean, you're going forward another generation now, and I'd say if you asked, kind of, if you asked sports journalists now, I'd say they would look at, we'd say Humphreys, David Walsh, uh, Paul Kimmage. These guys are the guys who brought it on another level. I mean, there's a there's a discussion to be had that if you talk about. Uh, to lease in the states. I mean, David. What David Walsh did back in the in the early eighties. I mean, David Walsh trained with the uh, Offaly team the week before the eighty two All Ireland final. Wrote a piece about it, and I think it was the Indo, the Indo or the Press, the Sunday Press on the, the Sunday of the game. I didn't know that. So that's your starting point with David Walsh, the man who brought Lance Armstrong down, was training with the Offaly footballers in September nineteen eighty two. So it, and that influences guys and fellas who are serious about it. You know, fellas who really, really, really want to write something good. You know. Um, we're very lucky in this country, like in terms of our history of sports writing and in the in the sports writers that have been around for the last ten or fifteen years. Um, a lot of the ways that you know people say, oh, how do how does Ireland punch above its if, above its weight in terms of literary output over over the course of history? I would argue that we punch above our weight in terms of above our weight in terms of sports. There's a lot of rubbish out there as well, but there's an awful lot of really really good stuff. All right, that's a suitable point to bring this discussion to an end. My thanks to the three lads for uh, giving up their Sunday afternoons and uh, joining us. We've been listening to Declan Lynch, to John Breen and to Mick Foley. And if you like that, then uh, you should head along to The Sport of Writing, Meet the Sports Writers. It's a special free event organised as part of the Dunleary Rathdown Council. Sorry as part of the Dunleary Rathdown County Council Writer in Residence Programme and it takes place this Thursday the 6th of December at 7.15 in the DLR Leisure Services Meadowbank in Ballantyre and uh, I'm sure tickets are free for that as well so you can get all the details on their website as well I should say as well that Alone It Stands is back for another run early next year John's been good enough to give us some tickets to give away for it it's in the Olympia between February the 26th and March the 3rd we have a box which seats four for one of those shows we've also got two tickets for the show in Cork between the 18th and the 23rd of February in Galway between the 11th and 16th of March and in Limerick between the 18th and 23rd of March if you want to be in with a chance of winning these tickets just text alone it stands with your name and the show you'd like to attend to 53106 and we'll give them away a little bit later on in the programme right back after these News Talk Sport Sunday 